Hi, welcome to the Not So Anonymous Alcoholic. Uh, my name is Chris and I am an addict alcoholic. And uh, today we are doing uh, a first um, first of this series, or first segment of this series, which is uh, something called Addict to Addict, where we have somebody who is a fellow uh, addict, whether they're in active use or um, or they're in recovery, and uh, we just kind of talk about their experiences and what they're doing to uh, to stay alive out in this crazy world. And uh, today we are, are welcomed by our my, a dear, sweet, sweet friend of mine. Uh, we will call him James. What's up, man? How you doing, baby? Good. You know you can say my name if you want. <laughs> I didn't know. James Thompson, amazing comedian as well. I have a couple of things that I wanted to talk about, but I guess, like for now, how long have you been sober for? Or would you consider yourself sober or not? Well, yeah, that's the whole thing. I'm I'm sober in my eyes, but I don't know if everyone would see it as sober. Because I do occasionally drink alcohol, and I do, I, I say occasionally, I rarely ever smoke weed, but I do it every once in a while. Okay. So, I would say, to me, I'm sober, which means I haven't done heroin or opiates in a year and three months now. And and those were the things that were more detrimental to your way of living rather than, than alcohol. Yeah, I was never at a point with alcohol where I was like drinking it every day, you know, I or like, you know, to wake up and everything and all that, except I guess maybe in college, you know, we all get crazy. But heroin was the only drug I ever got to where I was doing it every day from morning till night. And it was really bad. I think I've tried to ask you this before. So James has been on our previous podcast, which is Duck Duck Grey Duke, obviously the, the network that you're listening to right now. Um, but I'm trying to remember how you ended up using the first time. Was it snorting it or did you bang it? Oh, well, are we talking heroin or painkillers? Cause I did painkillers first. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So go with the painkillers and then, and then I really want to know that first time you used, uh, H. Okay. So the first time I did painkillers was I stole a bunch of my grandma's Vicodin. Which, you know, it's not a good thing to do. Uh, my, uh, a friend of mine had, we, we, he was like, I had a couple of friends who were like my, my drug using, uh, like I was a virgin and they were showing me how to penetrate, you know, and <laughs> they, they, they knew about drugs and I was learning from them. And one of the things these guys told me was that Vicodin was, like, the best high he'd ever had. And I was doing, like, Ritalin sometimes with this guy and stuff. So I was like, I really am curious to try this drug. So when I found out that my grandma had a whole bucket full of them, and when I was visiting her in Michigan, it, like, it blew my mind. I was like, this this thing that's supposed to be amazing, my grandma has extra of it. You know, like I was like, I got to try some of it. So I took a little bit of it, put it in a bag and I didn't even do it right away. You know, I had it for a little while until I tried it. And then at some point I ended up trying it and I, you know, at the, the beginning, it's only okay. You just tend to sleep a lot. I, I swear I would be, I would feel good for a little bit, but I end up just falling asleep. 
Right. And so for whatever reason, probably because I, you know, I'm mentally ill, I kept <laughs> occasionally doing it. And then eventually I learned to love it. And then the thing is with painkillers, painkillers are, uh, I don't know how many people who aren't in the world know this, but it's hard to get painkillers. It's, it's way harder to get painkillers than it is uh, uh, heroin. So eventually, I, you know, I would only be doing painkillers whenever I could find them. And after like maybe three years of painkiller use, actually maybe more like two years, I was like, fuck it, let's try heroin. And I knew a guy who could get heroin. So I just, I basically paid for a line of heroin, which is not usually how it's done. So I just paid a guy, I think it was like probably 20 bucks for a line. And that was the first time I did heroin. And I ended up not doing heroin again for a while, though, because I didn't know anyone who could get it regularly. So was for that a while, the only I was thing, just doing painkillers. Was that the only thing that kept you from doing it, though, was the fact that you just, it wasn't available? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and then eventually uh, a friend of mine ended up knowing someone who could get tar. And then that's, you know, started from there. And I just ended up using heroin a lot with the tar. And I mean, something that like a common theme that I seem to, to see with the, the, the fellow addicts that I would meet when it comes to H, like it was more than just doing, doing heroin. It was, there was like two ends of it. Like there was the user who, you know, would go in and out of rehab over and over again, who would OD, and then there was the dealer who was more in love with the lifestyle of, the, of that side of things, which I, I find super interesting. And like, I'm lucky that, that I don't know that world, but. That is so weird to me that someone would love that lifestyle. I've never even thought about that before. I think it's kind of that when you, when you submit yourself to those, like that traumatic of an atmosphere, um, you kind of get used to it and if you feel like you figured out how to navigate it and everyone else looks all strung out but you're strolling through handing out bags and making money like i think there's you feel like you're cheating heroin like you're you're avoiding does that make sense do you mean dealers who use or dealers who don't use dealers who who i mean the the only people that i met were dealers who used as well oh okay Yes, I sort of knew people like that. Yeah, yeah. But they were, I mean, I would say those people, in my opinion, the ones that I knew were worse than me. And I was using a lot. I think that when you become the person, the middleman, you're not only, like, you will get free bags for sure, or cheaper bags because you're a middleman. But I, I think on a scale of, like, if someone looked at both of us in our lives and would think who's in a worse position, they would probably think the guy who was the middleman. I mean, I thought that guy was in a way worse position in life than I was. How do you, how do you mean? Like they were, they were more addicted to it? More addicted. They were kicked out of their house. They lost everything. You know, they, their only life was heroin. Like yeah, I see, that's, that's had a life outside of heroin, you know? That's, I think that's what I mean is, is these guys like it becomes their life and the fact that they are like not ODing and oh like, yes. So okay. like the cats that they, 
I mean, I don't know if just their tolerance is higher or what the deal is, but like the, the people that, yeah, the people that I met, um, yeah, the, the, the lifestyle. So the, the dealing lifestyle they were addicted to, and then there was a sense that they were better than just, just, just being an addict. Like, I'm not just an addict. I'm also like, Hmm. this is my, my income. This isn't just getting high to me. I'm curious to know if some people who I used to knew who are sort of like that, I'm curious to know if they would say that. I never had heard someone say that, but I only saw them in the world of heroin. You know, I didn't see them really outside the world of heroin. So I don't know if they would think of themselves like that or not. Uh, Well, maybe, and who knows, maybe it's a state thing. Like, because the the individuals that I met didn't live in, they weren't from Minnesota. So maybe that has something to do with it too, where they were in, maybe they were in different scenes where there was like a glorified version of. One of the weird things about heroin too, and I'm sure this was other drugs, is you also meet so many people from so many different walks of life and we're all meeting for this one thing. It's like, you, you know, you'll meet a guy who's living in a, an apartment that's just like, like a super trashy apartment. You don't even know how, you don't understand how he's able to pay for that apartment. And he, all he does is he gives up, you know, he'll like sell ne- needles and stuff and he'll get high all day and all that. And then you'll meet some guy who's like a CEO or something, not a CEO, but like, like he has his own business and he just likes to get high and every once in a while and he'll pay you to like suck on your, dude, to suck on your feet and stuff. You meet crazy people. It, there's so many different people from all walks of life. Like, hold on, we, you just glossed over <laughs> what pay, was that? paying people to suck their feet. Okay, so there was a guy. There was a guy who I I was told I, I forget what it was. I can't remember if it was feet. It might have just been like, oh, maybe I think maybe he just wanted to look at you naked and jerk off or something. But there was some guy who would pay you like 200 or $300 to do something. I forget what it was, but you didn't have to do anything, really. You barely had to do anything. And I remember thinking, Look, maybe I'll do that when the guy told me, but I never ever did it. But it was definitely a thing where it's like, dude, that's the easy money and I barely got to do shit. <laughs> but I, I, I wish I could remember the details better. I don't remember what it was. Heroin too, like I... It's the only drug that I can think of where people move to where there's a better form of it. Yes, for sure. That to me is super wild. And yeah, and that's why, you know, so many of them end up homeless is because you, you know, you're relocating. The cost of relocating is insane. Yeah, man. There's some people who like live in RVs and just go around the whole country. Just wherever they hear good dope is, they go there. That's That's so bananas to me. So... Have you lost friends to heroin? I actually do. The only friend who I would, who I consider I like really lost to heroin was actually a comedy friend who I never did heroin with. Oh. Like most of my friends who I knew who I did heroin with all uh, survived, you know, or, or they still use and are just, I haven't seen them in a while. Oh, okay. I actually did. I will say that I have had a good friend of mine overdose twice around me. And I, I basically like, I, I guess I saved his life. I don't know. I, I 
I tried to save his life and he was, you know, he wasn't breathing and then he was. So I guess I think technically what I did helped him. I've never been sure if what I did helped him or if he just naturally started breathing again. But that's happened to me twice where a friend who I was using with, uh, stopped like breathing and I had to make him breathe again. Man, that is absolutely bananas. When I talked to you last, and I mean, we kind of brought it up at the beginning there, how um, there are still certain things that you allow yourself to indulge in. Mm-hmm. How is it that you either justify those things? And I'm not trying to like call you out or anything. I'm, I just, it fascinates me because... No, it's a reasonable question. I get it, man. There, there are people who... Um, who like say that they used to do hard drugs and then they somehow were able to switch off that thing. And then it only pertains to, so like you're, you're recovered from this one thing that was affecting your life, but you still, you're still using mind altering substances. And that, that freaks me the fuck out because you know, you think about like the things that people can convince you to do when you're drunk that you just chalk mm-hmm. up to like silly things. If you're in the right environment and you had one too many to drink and you ended up, you know, doing a line of, you know, oxy or something like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, dude, you're actually getting into something that I've really pondered about because I, I truly don't really understand it. But so I, this is what one thing I can tell you about drinking where there was a time when I was quitting when, you know, I've quit heroin multiple times. Uh, this would be to me, I like lit really quit this time because this is the longest I've been not doing heroin ever. And I genuinely don't have an interest in doing it again, which I've never had until this time where I quit. But I, one of the times I quit, I would replace it with drink. And I would drink, you know, most nights. Not every night, but a lot. And every, every, you know, every once in a while when I was trying to quit, I would drink and I'd convince myself, yo, we need to grab again. I'd be like, let's, let's grab. So I, or, or like, I wouldn't grab in that moment, but I'd message a guy, I'd be like, hey, I want to grab tomorrow. So that was happening to me every once in a while where I would get sober and then I drink, and sometimes when I drink a lot, I decide I want to grab. Now, since this time that I quit, I, I actually don't drink as much as that, though. Like, back then, I would drink more. I would probably have more like, you know, oh, my gosh. I'd probably have, like, maybe six drinks. Now, when I drink, I have one or two. And I never, since this this year and three months since I've quit, I have never had a night where I drank and I thought of using it again. Like I, 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 I honestly believe that something chemically or I don't know, man, something in my brain happened where I was just truly done with it in a way that I've never been done with it before. It's, it's almost just like a switch clicked in my head. And I was like, dude, I'm so done with this. This is not for me anymore. It, it's, it's either stop doing this or die or something. And, uh, even though, man, even though I'll have like one or two drinks, I honestly 
I just don't even like drinking that much. I drinking is just I I this is something I've told people before that I think heroin you get to a point where you're chasing a specific feeling so hard where the only thing that matters to you is the feeling that that drug gives you that all other substances can't measure up like alcohol dude i think i could have been an alcoholic before i did heroin but now that i've done heroin and reached this peak in my dopamine brain where i dopamine part of my brain where i that feeling can never be measured up to by with any substance with any alcohol or weed or anything that it just doesn't mean to me what that did so it's like it'll never i just don't if i if i'm not careful i could see myself falling into that you know maybe drinking too much but it's just something my brain is not interested in that the way it used to be before i did heroin and and that's interesting. I, I get what you're trying to say in that. Um, so that whole dopamine pathway that you had created for heroin um, and that specific dopamine kick, um, you think that your brain logged it the opposite way and said, uh, we searched for that high high and ended up getting a super low low and maybe logged it as as a... A thing that it's not just that we will never get that high, but we'll also um, have a bad time from here on out. Yes. The, well, well, that's yeah. That's the switch where I I'm not interested interested in heroin anymore. But I do also think that alcohol and weed. Well, they don't. I I'm telling you, man. When I drink alcohol, I don't feel the same feeling I had when I drank it before I did heroin and painkillers like it felt better there was something that was more uh i don't even know how to explain it It just felt better and then now that my brain has reached a higher peak than alcohol and weed when i drink alcohol and i smoke weed i do not care about like it doesn't it's not it's not worth chasing to me the way heroin would be like if I have one drink, that's it. I have one drink. Like I, whatever I did to my brain, it's no longer interested in drinking a lot of alcohol. It's no longer interested in smoking a lot of weed. It's just, that's just, it's, it's feels like I chemically altered my brain to not become an alcoholic or a pothead. I just want to, the only thing my brain is interested in is heroin. You know? Yeah. The thing that I think of is um, people who say it's not that I don't drink, like, you know, because you end up in situations where um, people, somebody tries to speak on your behalf, like, oh, they don't drink. And then that person chimes in with, oh, it's not that I don't drink. It's just that I don't drink that often. When you're in that zone, I always think about you know, the the worst thing hasn't happened yet, right? So like, mm-hmm. if that, yes, if that shit sure. lays dormant long enough. So I, I wonder if it doesn't feel like a big deal now and that you don't want to search, you know, like you're not looking for, you're not going out and buying uh, an eighth or anything like that. Like, why not just cut it out entirely? Like, what's what is it that 
that you think would, would would keep you from doing that? That's a good question because I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I do think about doing that because alcohol doesn't seem worth it to me sometimes. But I don't know, man. I think I'm just, you know, you want to get to the crazy shit. I think I'm just a rebellious person at heart. And I think that I don't like the world telling me what I can and can't do. And if that means every once in a while I'm going to drink alcohol to prove something to myself in the world, I think that's just what I'm going to do. I think that's why I did heroin for 10 years, man. I just, I, I don't like the world telling me what to do. I've never liked it. You can ask my parents, dude, when I was like two years old, I was the kid who had to be, who had to experience touching the hot thing. You could tell me it was hot all you wanted, but I would touch it and then realize it's hot. I, you, you can't, I'm, I have to learn the hard way. I've always been like that as much as I just don't really care about drinking. I just never want to tell myself that you can't because, you know, a program says you can't, I have to really not want to do it. So it's, it's the, the concept of the institution making it, making a clear line in the sand that, um, yes, you are either abstinent or you're still in active use. Yes. I, I want to challenge that that idea. I think that you can be absent of what you need to be absent of. I, I, would, I would say, though, to combat that, the institution doesn't matter. Because let's say the institution didn't exist. The consequences mm-hmm. of using heroin would still exist. The consequences of the, the realization that you're an addict would still exist that mm-hmm. that institution doesn't change all of those things right because they didn't have any effect on you while you're in active use because when was the first time that you went to like an na meeting or or any type of treatment uh that would have been when i was probably like i believe i was 22 or 21 so how long had you been using before then i guess probably four years of all sorts of different usage okay so you didn't have a counselor or like any any figure from the aa or na world coming in and telling you that you shouldn't use what you would have i did have the uh in the outpatient i did i did have people who were you know telling me that I should refrain from everything. So Okay, maybe I misunderstood then. So what I'm trying to say is, so in the active years of use before doing any kind of, having any outside person coming in from an AANA outpatient, any of that shit, you were in active use and living a a life without any of their guidelines, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So... That, that, and we, (laughs) not to go down this rabbit hole, but in theory, uh, none of that shit actually existed until you went and sought it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I actually, I didn't, to be honest, I didn't seek it out. It, uh, I was legally required to go to it. So, and even in that regard, so you have a, I, I think a system in which if you were to dive into the anatomy and the psychological part of this stuff, 
um, you would come to the same conclusions without there would there would be no need for any steps and kind of that dogmatic bullshit. You would still come up with the same results, which is that if you use after using because in the there's another thing uh, with us addicts is that um, like tolerance breaks. Did you ever do that when smoking weed? What, what do you mean tolerance breaks? So like with for weed? Pe- yeah, no. with weed. No, I never smoked weed enough to have a tolerance. Oh, okay. So like, but you know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes. Okay, so the concept is um, like for controlled addiction is that mm-hmm. we tell ourselves, I'm taking a break and I'm fine with taking, I could take two years off as long as I know that I can go back to that whenever the fuck I want. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm doing this yeah. on my own terms. So when you talk about like, you know, you're kind of doing this to show the world or maybe just to show yourself that you can. Yeah, have this. It's, I would say it's more to show myself. Right. So to show yourself that you have this self-restraint, but that's, that's a, a I would say a, a mute point because mm-hmm. you're capable of amazing things regardless. I will say that, you know, alcohol, I don't alcohol is like, it's it's like a person I'm sleeping with occasionally who I don't want to do anything with further than that, but I'm still horny, you know, I still need to release something. So for me with weed too, dude, I, for weed. Weed is so much different to me than alcohol, too. Weed is never something I've, like, smoked and, like, enjoyed it. It's, for me, weed is therapeutic. Weed, I almost feel like weed is something I should do every once in a while just to make my brain look at my life from a different viewpoint. Almost, you know, like what people do with psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Weed is, like, that. I'm not doing weed to, to show any, myself or any system or anything like that that... I can occasionally do that and be fine. Alcohol is the only thing where it's just like, it just fills a minor need every once in a while. In my mind, because I I can already hear the same thing that I went through, which is the frustration with um, combating the concept of free will. Mm -hmm. And regardless of what trauma you've been through, you still should have the free will to be able to live your life the way that either you think tests you in a positive way um, or that just reaffirms that you um, trust yourself. Yes, that's a great way to put it. I, I would argue, though, what potentially is happening is to go back to that scenario of the um, controlled addict is that if we allow some type of vice, even though it's very fleeting, um, if it feels like no big deal to pick up a substance like again and again and again throughout the years, you are still on a very thin line of crossing over and falling into that pool of Okay, I'm not, I'm not uh, doing H, but I'm 
And what's even scarier with alcohol is that you can do it anywhere. You can mm-hmm. you can couple it with anything, and they're trying to integrate it into more and more things. Yeah, I just I I think that like it's beyond us now, and that subconscious part of our brain is really just hanging out until it it is reactivated, and nobody has any control over that, and it's not a theological thing. It's an objective, like anatomically created, self-created time bomb. Hey guys, Chris with Duck Duck Grey Duke here. Excited to talk about Clean Cause Yerba Mate, sparkling Yerba Mate. Uh, these energy drinks are they're super delicious, and uh, the reason why we're we're excited about them is because they're a company that gives back fifty percent of their profits to support individuals in recovery from alcohol and drug addiction. Sober living scholarships is is a big way that they do that. They allocate those scholarships to individuals across the country uh, where the drinks are purchased and has provided over 1,200 scholarships with the value of more than $600,000 to date. That is so awesome. I, I mean, one of the things that prevented people from staying in treatment for as long as they could, um, at least for the facility that I was at, was that they ran out of money. Their insurance would cut them off. They'd only get seven days, and they would have to, you know, have to leave before they were ready. Sometimes, and so co- companies like this that are out there avidly uh, promoting sober living and willing to help on the financial end of things is, is pretty huge. And on top of that, it's freaking delicious. I love it. Um, I, I had never even tried Yerba Mate. I had no idea what it was. Um, but they have, uh, a zero calorie version as well. Cause I'm not a huge sugar guy. Um, this orange ginger that I'm drinking right now, is freaking delicious. The cherry lime one was freaking awesome. There's, there's a bunch of flavors. There's there's the regular, you know, if you, if you don't mind sugar, get on that. And uh, they have all kinds of flavors to offer there. And for our podcast listeners, you can go to cleancause.com and use the promo code TNSAA. Uh, that's the acronym for the Not So Anonymous Alcoholic. Obviously, something that we're super passionate about is staying sober. That means a, a lot to our family. And we hope that you guys can get behind that too, because these guys are, are doing really, really great work. And uh, we're just so freaking excited about that. Uh, thank you and enjoy the show. I think I, for me, I look at substances as everything is a substance from sugar to coffee to heroin to cocaine. And some substances I have problems with and some I don't have problems with or i don't have a problem that i am worried about with it like i genuinely think i have a sugar problem i have a sugar addiction i do not allow myself to have sweets i i i have to limit the amount of sugary foods i even have in my own room and stuff you know and to me the alcohol plays into this all 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 things that exist that we consume play into this. And if I really thought alcohol would ever be a problem for me, I would absolutely stop doing it. 
I just genuinely believe that I'm, I'm, it's but not a problem. And that, I don't think that's it in, a, in a reactive way though. You're saying, what do you mean? So if you, you're saying that if I ever thought that it would be a problem, then I would stop doing it. You're implying that there would have to be some type of event or multiple events that you're able to look back on and have had survived and and say, oh, okay, I shouldn't have done that. Now I'm going to cut it off. For me, it's more, I guess, I don't know if I would call an event. I, if I felt like I needed it or if I needed it too much, you know, if I was drinking too much, it wouldn't have to be an event. It would just have to be me noticing a mental connection where I was relying on it too much. That's that's what would be a thing where I'm like, I am mentally relying on this feeling too much. Yeah, but again, you're you're so I I didn't word it great, but that's that's saying. Are you are you going pee pee? No, no, I'm not. I do need to pee though. What was, what was that sound? I'm drinking coconut water. Oh okay. Oh shit. <laughs> um. So, shit. I actually forgot what I was going to say. Um. What were you just saying? Say it again. So, so that's okay. So, um, you're assuming that you have the foresight that this oh, yes. this failsafe okay. exists um, to be able to look at your situation from the outside and say, oh, we're, we're drinking too much throughout the week. We need to cut back. Or, oh, we, we got way too wasted last night and maybe we have like the shakes in the morning or something like that. So we're going to pull back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that so, that other little thing, which is addiction, isn't going to override that and come up with a justification for why those things were happening, or why it's okay yeah. that they happen. I mean, you know, it's the thing is, we're all in our own heads. We all see what we see in our own heads. Where everyone has a different experience, and I just can tell. I've been able to show myself through all of the things that have happened in my life. I I now know what addiction looks like. I know how it slowly builds up. I've seen it slowly build up with me before and then get really bad. And I've, I've seen so many different stages of addiction, the way it worked in my brain, the way it justified things. You know, I have, I have like a total of like 10 or 11 years experience of seeing my brain and how it operates with addiction. And I, I truly think I, I, I've seen enough and understand myself enough now to know what to look out for. And I'm, I know how to manipulate to maneuver myself. That was a Freudian slip there. Manipulate. I, I know how to, no, maneuver I think that's myself. actually the right word because you do in a sense have to manipulate yourself because of past experiences to, in, in order to, to do the right things moving forward. So that manipulate doesn't always, mean that you're mean something bad yeah some negative connotation to it um but i mean and i mean the only reason i'm i'm coming at you the way that i am is because i <laughs> like no man this is this is a good thing people yeah. need to be 
question. That's how life is, man. Well, and I, I think you were the, the reason why I wanted to call you is because you're the perfect person to do it with where you're not going to take any of this shit personally. And you know that I'm mm. just ask, like actually asking questions. <clears throat> yes. Well, these are all things that I think myself, man. These are good things to ponder. And like the reason that I go at it from the angle that I do is because like as of right now, statistically speaking, the success rate of controlled use is very, very low. It all, yes. it mm-hmm. more often than not turns to uh, a relapse. So I obviously want you to succeed. I would much rather you have figured out something that other people aren't and live a happy life. Cause that's like the best case scenario. But like for people listening, I just, I want them to know that like for two people who have gone through similar things, that doesn't mean that we have the same road to sobriety. Yeah, absolutely. I think that some people don't realize enough is how different every one of us is. Yeah. Well, and we've talked about too before, like um, the, the institutionalized version um, that this fucking makes me so mad. Uh, (laughs) So the treatment, (laughs) the treatment center that I went to, right. They, uh, they love to drill this point home, which was um, the definition of insanity is uh, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. While ironically, asking people to raise their hands and say, all right, so who here has relapsed before? (laughs) That's good. It's like you are pointing out the fact that you guys don't work. (laughs) The thing that you're doing is not able to change the lives, the hearts and minds of full-grown adults. Man, I've never heard that before. That's great. You know what I'm saying? Like, who do have the capacity? Well, because, I mean, we have the capacity to learn like factual things and then go, Oh, okay. Like think about, I live in a neighborhood where everybody had to learn to some extent how to take care of their yard. Is that an applicable life learning skill anywhere else other than your own yard? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we have the capacity to learn shit that doesn't necessarily apply to the outside world. So, the things that we learn in there should be though, they should be that when they say it's life or death, that shit should be like the most serious and they should have the lowest, uh, repeat offenders. Yeah. But they don't, they have the highest. There's so many different, uh, dark motives in that world too. I think that specifically when it comes to opiates, I think that, uh, Oh Yeah. There are, there, the pharmaceutical companies not only want you to get addicted to the painkillers, but they want you addicted to the suboxone and the methadone that they yep. give you when you're trying to get off of it. They want to keep you on a rotation, you know. Yeah. And yeah. with that comes like some rehab centers and stuff. Yeah, you know what's funny? So I picked up smoking cigarettes when I was in in uh, rehab, and. Uh, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be out in like a week. So I'm going to stop smoking. And I went and got uh nicotine gum and, uh, to, I like abused the system. I 
put two pieces of nicotine gum in and smoked a cigarette anyways. <laughs> <laughs> like, like using nicotine to combat nicotine is such a funny. That is very funny thing and, and ironic thing to do, but it's it's the same thing when it comes to all this, all this other stuff that's out there, man. It's it's such a fucking losing battle, and that's you know that right there, dude, is a part of why I strongly believe in the idea that people should be able to occasionally, if if they feel like they can, I just want to be clear, if they feel like they can. You should occasionally, if you need to indulge in something that is not the thing you had a problem with, if you don't think it's going to lead to anything like that. How, how did because, you come to this conclusion, though? Like when you came out of treatment or rehab or whatever you want to call it. Um, for me, it's... Did you okay, go right all, back to drinking? Did reason. you go back right back to smoking weed? You know what I mean? Like, was there any lapse at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't drink... I don't. I, it was a while before I started drinking again. I don't know how much a while is, but it was. It was at least like a month or maybe more where I didn't drink. But so the for me, the reason why I believe this is because uh, of my specific situation with kratom. Kratom. Oh, that's right. By all by all measurement, is a substance. It's it's a chemical that alters the brain. Like, but. I would never have got off heroin or painkillers if this if this uh, this plant was not uh, if I was not aware of that plant. I, by all accounts, if I really dig deep down, I think I would have died. I would have either died involved in some dark shit, or I would have overdosed one or the other. And it's a very very tricky line, my, though. The, the thing that saved my life was it's it's like I, I've, I've said this on the other podcast that like it's if someone was addicted to meth and they quit meth and they survived by drinking coffee every day like that's the equivalent of what how I was able to stop a really dark cycle of getting high every day and you know committing crimes every once in a while and stuff like that you know p there's people who every day they or every time they quit they just do methadone or they just do suboxone right and they do that every day and they they think they're clean and i guess in a way you're not doing see the thing is you can't ever die from an overdose of kratom, but you can die from an overdose of methadone. Oh, I yeah. think I, I'm not sure if you can die from an overdose of suboxone, but I know it's bad. I th I think you end up getting sick if you try to to overload on suboxone. If well, like uh, dope sick, else. yeah. But well, I know that if you mix any opiates with methadone or suboxone, you get sick right away. But I don't I don't know what happens if you take too much Suboxone though. I'm I'm not sure how that works. Mm -hmm. But I know that so Suboxone specifically has two things in it. It's I think it's buputerol or something and another thing. I've found out recently that they're giving people so Suboxone has one thing that's like an opiate like drug and another thing that keeps 
that opiate like drug from feeling like an opiate drug or feeling as much like an opiate drug. Okay. And I recently found out that they're giving people now they're just giving people the opiate part. So it's just like, I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, there's, uh, um, yeah. What's God, what is that other thing called? Yeah. I, I forget I, the names. Um, oh, man. Bupro- I, man. Bupinorphine, I think maybe Some, it. something like Bupinorphine. that. Yeah. Um, cause I remember there were people in the, on the medical unit, uh, at the treatment center that, um, when they would take that, they would get all loopy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, I mean, it's, it's to curb the, the fucking withdrawal, but, um, yeah. so it, it, but, you know, a lot of people just end up taking that the rest of their life. They don't, they don't yeah. take it to curb withdrawal really. Or addicts, I mean, specifically. Yeah. But so, anyways, what I was saying is that for me, I know, I I mean, just to like, it's hard to explain to someone just the difference between the way my life is now and when I was using, you know, like, like now I drink a, I guess you would call it a tea. I drink it every morning. It now... Nowadays, I I will exercise. I exercise hard fucking core, dude. I I run for like an hour and a half or I mean an hour and 10 minutes. I lift for like an hour, two hours. I I always am keeping myself active. I, you know, I, I go from stealing money, injecting drugs into my body, getting abscesses, you know, just like constantly every day thinking about killing myself because i'm i'm i feel hopelessly addicted to something you know i'm just like what is this life this is not a life worth living and then i finally forced myself to quit over a weekend i tried to quit like every weekend for a while eventually i got a three-day weekend and then i quit um and now all i do you know, I'm not meeting any dealers, you know, like all my life is, is I wake up, I drink a tea and the difference is insane. The difference in the positive life I lead is ridiculous. So to me personally, I have seen firsthand that the idea of thinking that you can't take something else that will help you be better. Really, they call they call it replacing your addiction. I I mean I have seen firsthand that replacing your addiction with something healthier can make dramatic changes. Oh, absolutely. I'm and and are are you saying something healthier along the lines of like exercise and things like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I'm specifically talking about kratom too. I mean, See, the, kratom, idea, the difference between heroin and kratom is, in you know, it's monumental, the life that I lead while on these things. Kratom's a, a tricky one, too, though, because I've, I've spoken with some people in the medical field, and they say that it basically activates that same, and I, again, I'm, I'm it's fucking psyched that this did not happen to you, but it activates that... Um, I'm trying to, the only way I can think of saying it is like that seeking desire. So the way that you would 
be like, oh man, where am I going to find, how, how am I going to get the substance that I want? It activates that same part of the brain. And so it can, it can keep you kind of in a limbo. And then you, you know, there are people that can, so you either get addicted to that or you go back to looking for that other substance. Yeah. And that I'm not saying that's not true. I'm, you know, that will happen for people. My, I guess what I'm saying is that my point is everyone's different. Like, Oh yeah. yeah like yeah. the idea that Kratom could save my life the way it did. I, I, people should always be open to the idea that sometimes doing, I know a lot of people, man, who doing nothing was never going to be an option for them. And they were going to die in those streets, man. They were going to die doing heroin every day because the idea of being sober was not an option for them. And I'm saying for people like that, maybe there is other options for you. The idea that you have to quit everything. I, I think it's a dangerous thing to play in this game of people who are not willing to ever think like that. People who are, who are, they're gonna it's you either die their choice is either die or get high there's a lot of people like that man and i i think enough uh, not enough people consider the idea of let's find a way to keep these people happy but not dying sure and i think kratom does that in my opinion for me it's very it's 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 a it's a controversial concept because it's the same i mean basically what we're saying is that um and i you know that what you were saying brought me right back to um the way that i felt about drinking like the idea of sobriety i hated it so much and i still say sobriety is a curse i still hate <laughs> there will well, always I, be a I part of me that hates think- it I mean, we, we've already talked about this, though, but I truly, man, sobriety is different for everyone. Because the, for me, the way I look at life, dude, if you're drinking coffee and you think you're sober, I truly don't believe you're sober. I, I, dude, if you're eating something with sugar, I don't believe it. I mean, the idea of sober is so varying for person to person because everyone had like, I think it's almost impossible to be a human being. And be what I would consider sober. Because you have to live. You have to consume things. I mean, if you're somehow consuming things without any sugar, I mean, I guess maybe you might, and doing nothing else, you would be what I would consider sober. But it's like, I just think that, I think people, uh, there's there's way more people convincing themselves of things are true. And, we all have different ideas of sober and true. And that's why it's so hard to really tell people how to get right. Cause we all have different ways of getting right, man. It's like, um, Dr. Drew says that, um, drugs in and of themselves are not bad. It's yes. the individual uh-huh. and the environment that response. they're in. Well, that yeah, yes. that yeah, exactly. So that's the broad term of saying the individual and, and the environment is that you know how how does it affect their uh, genetic code and all that fun stuff. Um, so yeah, you could say that there are are many things that when consumed too much 
or um, that it becomes a part of your your daily needs. Um, that it's that yeah, none of that stuff is good for you. No, I don't think anybody would argue, but it's the same way that doctors still avidly say that they still avidly say with every checkup, how much sugar are you consuming? Or like yeah. a dentist will say, how much of this are you consuming? You need yes, to cut back exactly. on the coffee. You need to remove the sugar. You need to stop consuming so much salt. So even though those things, you could say that that person isn't sober, that doesn't mean that that there aren't people still avidly trying to get people to consume those things less. Much like yes. us as addicts, mm-hmm. that there are people trying to get us to consume less things that would, that replacing... Uh, one thing that is necessary for survival with substance. Yeah, exactly. That I, I guess what I was trying to say there was just that, like, there's so many people who would say they're sober, but in my eyes, what I consider sober, I would not consider them sober. You know, I, I, that's why I just think this idea of sober and, it's it's so relative man sure i i think i th- i love that we keep going back and forth too cuz this this is good information because there are people who who say like my use isn't out of control and i know myself like i heard people say i know myself so much mm-hmm. when i was in treatment <clears throat> and uh some people were saying I know myself so well that I, I know I'm going to relapse as soon as I get out of here. Yes. And, <coughs> oh, shit, sorry. Ugh. Um, I would also be willing to think that, uh, I mean, I, I I truly think that some people who say they know themselves don't know themselves, and then some people do. It's, you know. But see, that's you the ironic You might think thing. you know yourself. So, like, so when when we when we dissect other things and say it's it's called whataboutism in in the debate world which is <laughs> to say sure i drink and smoke weed from time to time but what about the millions of people who consume too much sugar or what about the millions of people that mm-hmm. consume too much caffeine? Like you can do all that. What about stuff, but it, it doesn't take away from the fact that all of those things are bad. So, yeah. So if it's, if it's to, if it's just to raise the point that those things are out there, that just means that this existence is far more difficult than we give it credit for. And yes. wherever we can remove something that that um, will do more harm than good, then we should try, like, strive for the best that we can to do that. And I completely agree with that. Absolutely. Beautiful. Let's end with you agreeing with me that you're going to stop <laughs> drinking. <laughs> no, I, hey. I think that there there are there are anomalies, man. There will always be people. There will always be outliers. And I think that you're somebody who doesn't just you don't just say um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna falter. I know that you do your research. You're not. Uh, it's it's easy for me to like throw that argument out there be- because I want I do want you to to not use. But I also know you don't you don't just look at one thing at surface level. Like you really do dissect things. So I yeah I I just I I have to do that man. Like, uh, 
it drives me crazy when I see people who like don't think more about something than I feel like they should because you you fail yourself when you don't think when you don't overthink things you almost should overthink things even if it drives you crazy because it does drive me crazy sometimes <laughs> oh but yeah you just should for your own health you know yeah i i think i think you said that perfectly which was when it when it comes to your own health you should look further yes further further than necessary because you know the, every box of cereal says how much sugar is in it Yes. Yet almost every home in America has a box of cereal in it. And they don't think about it. So has, knowing that the facts are there doesn't mean anything if you don't read them. Yes. So I, I think, yeah, I've always I've always appreciated the way that you look at life and, and the way that you dive into um, really any viewpoint. We've talked about all kinds of stuff before. <coughs> but... Uh, I, uh, I appreciate that, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you, and um, I I just want to say that uh, I yeah I I really appreciate you, and and it 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 feels good being able to to talk with somebody who who knows about this stuff, and that um yeah you're just you're just always so open minded to everything, and and uh, you don't you don't deal in absolutes, which is uh. A friggin' treat. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, do you want to talk about the uh, the project that you have in the works? Oh yes, okay. Uh, so I'm starting a podcast. I've recorded some episodes. It's called Narcotics Not So Anonymous. Uh, I I'm working on getting them out. I don't know when they'll be out. Hopefully, in a couple weeks, it should start coming out. I did one with Chris. It was uh, it was a great one. You're such a smart guy, man. I love talking to you. Um, and a couple episodes with my buddy Derek Johnson, and then I'm I'm as soon as I get the ball rolling, I'm gonna have all sorts of people on. The idea is I I talk about addiction, but I also want to try to be. I I, I don't want to be too serious every once in a while, mm-hmm. or I mean uh, I want to be I don't want to be too serious, but every once in a while I do want to be serious. So it's like. Most of the time, I'm going to try to be just, you know, having fun. But every once in a while, well, I want to do an episode where we really talk about things like the one I did with you. That was a great episode. Yeah. And people are so used to me, like, trying to be funny for every thing that I do, too. Yeah. <laughs> I think people are enjoying more, like, the – or they seem surprised at the fact that I – I know anything. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's yeah, always man, fun it, to do that. I think there is something where people who mostly try to laugh at things, people don't really realize how much we, we really do think about other things. We just, I think we're just kind of addicted to focusing at the funny, positive things, but we were, we're thinking about all of it, you know? Yeah. Um, uh life is a prison 69 yeah life is a prison 69 <laughs> that's the instagram uh, yeah instagram twitter and facebook name is just james thompson Word. i got a black guy in my picture <laughs> uh and obviously subscribers uh we we appreciate you please share these episodes 
um, and give us an iTunes review if you could. We're also offered on iHeartMedia now as well. Very excited about that. Um, YouTube, and you can find all of these episodes at DuckDuckGreyDuke for all things social media. YouTube and email would be DuckDuckGreyDuke at gmail.com if you have any questions that you want to submit or if uh, like my, my good friend James here, if you'd like to be on an episode, you can definitely send us your information. And uh, the way that, that we end these episodes, James, is I, I say, and with that, uh, we will pass. And with that, we will pass. <laughs> Do I repeat it? <laughs> no, but I actually think oh. I'm going to go with yours. Yours sounded better. <laughs> All right. All right. Awesome, man.